Good morning, folks. How are you this morning? This is the earlier of the two services, so if I fall asleep, you wake me up and vice versa, yeah? And uh, if you don't understand me, I think they can put subtitles up behind me, right? No, that doesn't work that way. Um, Colin did a great job of uh, sort of sharing a little bit about my background. I'm from Belfast in Northern Ireland. America's affected me in more ways than one. It's dwindled my accent. Sadly, it didn't do the same with my waistline. Uh, there's a few different changes since I've come to America. So uh, I'm thankful to be here. We currently live in Florida in Tampa Bay. Uh, my wife, Julia, she'll be here during the second service. We have three young kids, Silas, Eliana, and Liam, eight years old, six years old, and four years old. She's currently scrambling around, getting them ready. I was very impressed with how put together all of your kids are this early in the day. They did a phenomenal job, and I'll just say this. My favorite song this year is that song, Gratitude, and down at our church, there's probably about five or six hundred people in our church uh, that I attend, and they sang gratitude, and I thought they did a phenomenal job, but they got nothing on you full of kids, by the way. Uh, I would listen to that again and again in a heartbeat. They did a great job. Thank you to everybody that put that together. If you got your Bible, turn to Exodus chapter 13. Exodus chapter 13, and I want to start by asking a couple of questions. I wonder if there's anybody in the room that has ever found themselves in a situation where they say, I have no way how this is all going to play out. I don't know which way to turn. I don't know what way to go. I don't know how all this is going to work out. I, I can't see the big picture. This, this thing that I'm facing is consuming my mind. It's consuming all of my energy. And I can't see past it. And I don't know what's going to happen in it. Anybody ever felt that way before? I have no doubt that there's enough people in this room this morning that you're probably facing some of that today that we've carried in baggage, we've carried in burdens, we've carried in troubles, we've carried in hardships, we've carried in things that are weighing on us this morning. Whether that's in relationships, whether that's with family, whether that's with our health, whether that's financially, there's a number of ways that life just gets you down, right? It feels like the world just comes crushing in on us at times. And, and today we come to a message, just to, I'll, I'll give you some back, background to it in just a minute. But we come to Exodus 13 and Moses and the children of Israel, they're at the verge of the Red Sea. They've got Pharaoh's army rolling down behind them with 600 chariots. They've got a mountain range to the north. They've got more water to the south. They're hemmed in in every way. And, and the title of today's message is Dead End Situations. Dead End Situations. I'm not trying to be pessimistic when I say this, but more realistic. Life will hand us many dead end situations. Maybe you're in one now, and if you're not, I would encourage you to bank this for later. It's not a matter of if they're going to come. It's a matter of whenever they do come, what are we going to do with that situation? What's our perspective in it? And how are we going to view the situation that we find ourselves in, whether that's in the present, whether that's in the future? When these situations arise, how are we going to handle them? And how you handle it, you're going to see in our text today, makes all the difference. And so I want to open us with a word of prayer, and then I'm going to take time to read a slightly longer text. Uh, if you put your finger on Exodus chapter 13, verse number 17, that's where we're going to start. So let's open in a word of prayer, and then we'll get stuck into a message entitled Dead End Situations. Let's go to God in prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the opportunity we have to meet together this morning. Thank you for your people here at Eufaula, for how you're using this church in their community and in their area, Lord. And I thank you for 
uh, the kids and the parents and the workers and everything that's taken place in this service so far today. Uh, and I know it's been glorifying and honoring to you up until this point. And at this point in time, as we open your word and we delve into this text, Lord, I pray that you would hide me behind your cross. Help me to decrease that you might increase. Help me not to say anything that I shouldn't and everything that I should. And I pray if there's one in our midst today that's just weighed down with life, that they're dealing with a situation that they don't see how it's all going to play out. They don't know a way out of it. They can't see the wood through the trees, Lord, that I pray that you would speak into their life, speak into their circumstance today, and use this message in the hearts and lives of your people. Have your Holy Spirit do what only it can this morning and convict and, and work on the hearts of your people today. For it's in your precious and wonderful name we pray. Amen. So as we come to our text, just to give you a little bit of background, whenever we enter into Exodus 13, 17, we come in in the middle of a story about the life of Moses, really. Moses grew up in Egypt through circumstances that weren't positive. He ends up running basically for his life, and he ends up in the back end of nowhere, a place called Midian, where he would spend 40 years there, really in the wilderness, in a period where he feels like God's done with him. There's nothing more than this. To him, that probably felt like a bit of a dead-end situation. And 40 years into that, he's out with the sheep one day, tending his father-in-law Jethro's sheep, and he, he comes across a bush that's flaming, but it's not burning up. It's, it's a burning bush. And God comes to him, and he speaks to Moses at this burning bush, and he says, Moses, you are going to be my spokesperson. I'm going to send you back to that place. You know that, you know that place you run away from, Moses? I'm going to send you back there. My people are there. They've been there for around 430 years, and I'm calling you, Moses, to go there and to boldly tell the Pharaoh to let my people go. As you know, Moses said yes right away, didn't he? No, he's like stuttering, stammering mess. Use him, use him. God, you got the wrong number. I, I, are you sure it's not a different Moses you're asking? And finally, after many, many excuses and God working his way through Moses' fear and Moses' restlessness and Moses' lack of faith in that situation, God brings Moses to a point where he's willing to do what God has him do. He goes back to the land of Egypt. He stands before the most powerful man in the land and asks him to let God's people go. And then 10 short plagues later, it happened. And we see after that 10th plague, we enter into our text here in Exodus chapter 13 and verse number 17. We pick up our story. The nation of Israel at this point, I want you to just imagine you're them. In slavery, in bondage, whippings by taskmasters. They've been in this situation, according to the book of Acts, for about 430 years at this time. That's a, that's a long period of their history. And we come to our text and they finally experience freedom. They experience victory. They're on the way out of Egypt, and they're on their way to the promised land, that land that flows with milk and honey, and God's got this great promise, and God's leading them by the hand of Moses, and as we're about to see, he leads them by the pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night. God's in this. We're celebrating. Things are great. We've got victory. We've got freedom. We're no longer in slavery, and we enter our text in Exodus 13, 17. It says, and it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go that God led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest peradventure the people repent when they see war and they return to Egypt. But God led the people about through the way of the wilderness and the Red Sea. And the children of Israel went up harnessed out of the land of Egypt. Down to verse 20, it says, And they took their journey from Succoth and encamped in Etham in the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by a pillar of a cloud to lead them by the way and a pillar of fire by night to give them light to go by day and night. And he took not away the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night from his people. Let me cut in there just a minute before we get to verse 1 of chapter 14. 
God is not taken by surprise whenever he finds Israel with a Red Sea in front of them, Pharaoh's army behind them, in a situation where he doesn't have a clue what, or the Israel don't have a clue what's going on or where to turn or what to do. It's not like God's up in heaven going, where, where's the Israelites? How, how did they get there? He knows exactly where they are. In fact, I would go as far as to say he's divinely leading them into this dead end. And I believe he does it because he wants to see how they're going to react. He wants to see how they're going to work their way through this dead-end situation. We're going to see in just a minute the very contrasting views that the Israelites have and that Moses have. But may I say in your life, there's going to be times where God may not always orchestrate the whole thing, but he'll certainly at the very least allow it. But the situations that you're in in your life, friends, God's not taken by surprise by it. What's that going on in your life? You've got what? What was the phone call you got from the doctor? What's going on with your son or your daughter or your mother or your father? What's going on with your health right now or your finances? He's not taken by surprise. He's a God that knows all and sees all and oftentimes divinely leads us into moments in our life that will strengthen and shape and mold us if we'll but trust him in the midst of it. Exodus 14, verse 1, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they turn and encamp. These words at 9 o'clock, at 10.30, I hope they go better. Are you ready for this? At Pehahiroth, between Migdal and over the sea, against Baal-Zephon, before ye shall encamp by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, They are entangled in the land, the wilderness has shut them in, and I'll harden the Pharaoh's heart, and he'll go after them, and I'll be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all his hosts and the Egyptians, that they may know that I am the Lord." And they did so. And it was told the king of Egypt that the people fled, and the heart of Pharaoh and of his servants was turned against the people. And they said, why have we done this thing that we've let Israel go from serving us? And he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. He took 600 chosen chariots and all the chariots of Egypt and the captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued after the children of Israel. And the children of Israel went out with a high hand. But the Egyptians pursued after them, and all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and the horsemen and his armies, and overtook them encamping by the sea of Pehahiroth and Belzephon. And when Pharaoh drew nigh to the children of Israel, they lifted up their eyes and beheld the Egyptians marching after them, and they were sore afraid. And the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord, and they said unto Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in this wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we did tell you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would be better for us to serve them that we should die in the wilderness. Long text, but it's going to be a short message today. First point is this, and it's alliterated. I don't know if you're interested in alliteration. I find it helps my memory. Uh, I can barely remember my kids' names first thing in the morning, so alliteration does help for me. The first thing you see in our text is we see a people in despair. A people in despair. We see them there. I, I said before I read our text, there's a spirit of victory. There's a spirit of joy. There's a spirit of freedom and celebration. And it's funny with the Israelites, and we can be this way too before we get too hard on them. But all it took was 17 short verses for joy to turn to sorrow for happiness to turn to fear, for songs of victory to turn to songs of fear. And how quickly the spirit in the camp changes. All of a sudden they go out of Egypt and they're, they're praising God and thanking him for his goodness. And Moses, you're awesome. And look at what you did. And, and we're no longer task, uh, slave masters. And we're no longer under the rule of the Egyptians. This is great. We're on our way to the, the promised land that flows with milk and honey. Things are great. Life is good. Let's go and do this. 
17 verses later, Moses, what are you doing? Do you see there's a Red Sea in front of us? Pharaoh and his 600 chariots are behind us. There's mountains to the north. There's more water to the south. Moses, what are you doing? God, what are you doing? And how easy it is in life as a Christian to be just the same way. To go from moments where we see God lead with a high hand and and lead us out of bondage and slavery and captivity and, and do incredible things that we could never do on our own. And yet at the first sign of opposition, we see a people in despair. The big idea in the first point is this. Whenever it comes to these dead-end situations, and like I said, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when, your perspective will change everything. There's two ways you can look at a dead-end situation. Whatever your Red Sea is, whether it's health, finances, family, whatever you're dealing with today, whatever it is that's weighing you down, you can either view it through eyes of fear or you can view it through eyes of faith. Eyes of fear or eyes of faith, from God's perspective or from man's perspective. And as we look at the Israelites, they viewed this solely through eyes of fear. They're looking horizontally, and all that they can see is an ocean in front of them, 600 chariots that are tearing down behind them. They see mountains to the north, water to the south, and they look at the situation, humanly speaking, horizontally speaking, through eyes of fear, and they're terrified of what's going to happen. There's no way out. What are we going to do? How are we going to get through this? Moses, it would have been better if we'd been back in the land of Egypt. At least we weren't going to die there. At least not this way, Moses. And it's very easy in our dead-end situations to act through eyes of fear instead of through eyes of faith. Tempers are rising. Faith is faltering. Victory is fleeting. And in their mind, death is imminent. And they speak to Moses in verse 11 and 12 and says, Is this not the word that we did tell you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in this wilderness. What's two things that happen in this text whenever we view the dead ends in our life through eyes of fear? The first one is this. We want to go back to the way life was before. We want to go back into the way that life was before. What does that mean for the Israelites? It means... They said, although, although Egypt was terrible, although there were slave masters, although it wasn't great, at least it was somewhat comfortable compared to 600 chariots and a Red Sea and imminent death. It's a little bit better. And so what do I mean by that in your life today? As a Christian, whenever the hard times come, if we view them through eyes of fear, it's very easy to want to fall back into our old way of life. Man, the way I, the, before I knew God, like the old friends that I hung out with, the old habits that I had, the whole life that I lived, it, it was comfortable, it was easy. I know it wasn't right, but at least it wasn't, it wasn't trying like this stuff is. And it's very easy whenever it comes to the Christian life, whenever the hurdles come and the obstacles arise, it's very easy instead of seeing something through to say, I just want to go back to the way it was before. In our world, and I say this not lightly because I see it in my life and seasons, and I'm sure you'll see it in yours, but in our world, it, it fosters quitters. People that will quit on their job at the first sign of trouble. Loved it at first. The interview went great. The first day on the job was awesome, but then the boss got mad at me, so what do we do? We quit. 
marriage at the altar, it was great, and at the altar, it was awesome, and I love you, and I love you until death do us part, and all that, and then the honeymoon, we love each other, things are great, but then that first fight, and that first struggle, and then kids come along, and that's even better, right, because kids make things, everything easier in a marriage, uh, and it's, it's easy, let me say this, it's easy to quit, but it's better to see it through, but it's easy to quit, right, it's easy to walk out the door, with children, you see those pictures on the ultrasound and you show them to friends and family and it's beautiful and you love it. And then you're in the labor ward and you see your kid for the first time. You hear that first cry and, and there's love there beyond anything you've ever experienced before. But then they get older and start talking back to you. And then you start realizing, man, this is pretty tough and it's very easy to quit. In our world, we live in a world where it's very easy to quit rather than see things through. And our faith can be exactly the same thing. In our Christian life, we weren't promised an easy ride. We weren't promised cloudless skies. We weren't promised a life without trial or difficulty. In fact, we were promised the opposite. In this world, you you will have tribulation. But then the verse goes on and says, but be of good cheer for I have overcome the world. It's not a matter of if dead ends come or or if tough times come, they're going to come. But are we going to view it through eyes of fear? and say, I want to quit. I want to turn back. I don't want to be a part of this anymore. I was fine whenever it was all good. I was fine whenever we were cheering with all the other Israelites, and Moses was leading us, and there was a pillar of cloud and fire, and and there was a promise of the land of milk and honey. I was good with all that part, but Moses, I didn't sign up for this part. This chapter called the Red Sea Dead End, I, I didn't sign up for this. But may I say, if we quit in moments like that, we miss out on seeing God do some of the most incredible things in our lives. If they had left and went back to Egypt, imagine what they would have missed out on seeing. I'm going to spoil the story for you. I'm sure you hopefully know it already, but later on in our story, Moses is going to raise his rod over. He's going to cast it out over the water. God's going to part the Red Sea, and they're going to walk through on dry land, and God's going to crash that water down on Pharaoh and all of his armies, and he's going to bring them victory where there seemed like nothing but death and defeat was possible. If they had quit in that moment, they would have missed out on seeing God do something that only God can do. And in our lives, whenever we're tempted to quit at the hurdles that we face in our Christian life or just at life in general, remember that miracles and God doing the possible are often just one step beyond that which you want to quit. The first consequence is that they wanted to quit. They wanted to turn back. The second thing we do when we see our situation through eyes of fear is we want to play the blame game. We want to find a fall guy. And I'm sure you've done this before. My kids do it all the time. They'll be fighting in the other room, and I'll come in, and one of them's crying. I'm like, Eliana, did you hit your brother? And she's like, no, no, it was, it was Silas. It was the other one. And obviously, I wasn't in the room. And then you got to play. you got to be a detective as a parent. It's terrible. And like, they learn from a young age how to play this blame game. And us in our lives, although it's not silly little things like that, we do exactly the same thing. Instead of taking ownership for our life and ownership for the situations that we're in and ownership for the things that we're facing, it's very easy to try to find somebody to cast blame on. Well, it, it's, it's the friend's fault or it's, it's the wife or the husband's fault or it's, it's my family's fault. It, it's my friendship circle and who I surround myself with. It, it's, it's the pastor or it's the church or it's, here's a better one, it's God himself. And as we come to our text here, notice what they're saying. They said to Moses and to God, Guys, you let us out here and now we're going to die. It's better if we've been back in the land of Egypt. Israel's pointing fingers at Moses and they're pointing fingers at God. And they're saying, this is your 
fault. And it's very easy to try and play that blame game. I would use another word for that. And the first consequence, I use the word quit, quitters. The second word I would use whenever we see it through eyes of fear is that we become victims. And in our world, people love playing the victim. That it's always somebody else's fault. It's the government's fault and they should do this for me. It's my friend's fault and they should do this for me. It's God's fault and the church's fault. It's everybody's fault but mine. And the blame game started way back, long before we were here. It started way back in the Garden of Eden whenever God said, you'll not eat of the fruit of this tree, right? And then Eve ate of the fruit and she gave that fruit to Adam. And Adam ate of it. And then God comes to Adam and says, Adam, what have you done? And he says, the woman, so the first finger goes to Eve. The woman that thou hast given me, it's, it's Eve's fault, but you gave me her, God. So really, it, it's your fault, God. Whenever we view our dead-end situations through eyes of fear, it's so easy to quit. It's so easy to turn back. It's so easy to point fingers everywhere but at ourselves and take responsibility for the situations we're in and realize that in this moment, I have two choices. I can either lash out in fear or I can trust God in faith. We come to our second point, and the first one was people in despair. The last point this morning is a pathway of deliverance a pathway of deliverance. And while we look at the people of Israel, the children of Israel, and while we see these eyes of fear, we look at Moses, and Moses is seeing this whole picture so differently. Moses is looking at this, and he's not looking at the Red Sea, and he's not looking at Pharaoh's chariots, and he's not looking at the mountains and the ocean and, and the dead end that they find themselves in. Instead, Moses in this situation has his eyes on God and says, you know what, this isn't great. I'd rather not be in this, but I can't wait to see what God's going to do in this situation. His eyes were not horizontal. His eyes were vertical. He wasn't th seeing it through a human perspective or through man's perspective. He was seeing this whole situation through God's perspective. And you look in verse number 13 through 16, Moses responds to the children of Israel. They've started whining and bickering and complaining and, and blaming. And in verse 13, Moses says unto the children of Israel, he says, fear, notice that first word, he points out exactly what the problem is. Fear ye not. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show to you this day. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you'll see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you and ye shall hold your peace. And the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore Christ thou unto me, speak unto the children of Israel that they may go forward, but lift up your rod and stretch it out over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go through on dry ground in the midst of the sea. We see in Moses a man here who is full of faith. His eyes are fixed on God and he says, God, I trust you, God. I believe in you, God. I see the water and I see the chariots and I see that we're hemmed in and I don't know on a human level how we're gonna get out of this, but I trust God that you're still good, you're still God, you're still in control and you know an escape route here that I don't know about just yet. And in your situations in life, the way that you look at them is gonna make all the difference. Am I gonna look at it like the children of Israel? horizontally, humanly speaking, seeing all of the problems, magnifying the problem and minimizing our God or magnifying our God and minimizing the problem. As we come to Moses here, and before we get too hard on the children of Israel, I was thinking about it this way. This moment in the children of Israel's life is exactly where Moses was when he was at the burning bush. Moses at the burning bush, was he this confident? 
Was he this faith-filled? Did he have unfaltering, unwavering faith, trust, and belief that God was going to do something great at the burning bush? No. He said, God, you got the wrong guy. God, I can't speak. God, I'm not strong enough. God, I'm not big enough. God, you got the wrong guy. Go get somebody else. Back there, Moses was fear-filled. Moses was trying to pass it on to anybody but himself. But God worked in the life of Moses. He worked in him at the burning bush, and he worked on him when he was standing before Pharaoh and declaring to let God's people go. And he worked on him as he brought the plagues that would... ...dead-end situations... We have the opportunity, if we'll trust God in it, to show faith, to show trust, to show obedience, to show that we're willing to look up instead of looking around, and to trust that God is still good and He's still in control. And I close with this, the last five minutes or so, I want to just dwell on this final point. And, and it's, it's funny that I always hear about you full of being the church on the dead end road, so I thought it, the dead end situations would be a good message, you know, to tie into that dead end idea. God is a God that delights in turning dead ends into three roads. And if you forget everything else, if you've been asleep for the last 23 minutes and 47 seconds, wake up and you'll be able to tell your friends and your family all about the message with this one thought. God delights in turning dead ends into three roads. We see it here in our text that God would deliver the nation of Israel. He would defeat the armies. He would defeat the Pharaoh. He would defeat all of the chariots. And they would get to the other side where once there was a dead end, God turned it into a through road. In case you were wondering, this is not the only place in Scripture where we see this kind of a thing happen, where God turns what looks like a dead end into a through road. You think about the three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If you take God out of that equation, that's a dead end right there. They're going into that fiery furnace and those three boys would literally be toast. But instead, God steps in and turns what would have been a dead end into a three road. You think about Daniel and the lion's den. If that wasn't for God stepping in in that situation, Daniel would have been a lion's lunch. But instead, God delights in turning dead ends into through road. You think about Gideon and his army of 300 against the Midianites and God whittled it all the way down. And if you were looking at that battle and you were looking at the army of the Midianites and you were looking at Gideon and his 300 and you were to put a bet on it, I know we're not betting people, but if we were to put a bet on it and say, who's going to win this battle? We'd say, well, man, the, the, Midian, or the Gideon and his 300, this is, a, this is a dead end for them. But God delights in turning dead ends into three roads. You think about David and Goliath, and David might have never faltered. The whole way through, there was nothing but eyes of faith. He did not see a massive giant. He saw a massive God. But everybody that looked at that battle of David versus Goliath, whether it's Saul, whether it's his father, whether it's his brothers, whether it's the Israelite army, they looked at David, little David, as he went out to battle against Goliath, and they thought, David, you're heading into a dead end. But thank God we have a God that delights in turning dead ends into through roads. In case you didn't know, the greatest one that we want to talk about as we close this morning is that in Jerusalem one day, there was a man that died upon a cross. He lived a perfect life like none of us could ever live. He went up and carried his own cross to Calvary, and as everybody looked on, they thought that it was a dead end. Whenever he breathed his last words and said, it is finished, they thought that it was a 
dead end. Whenever they took that body that no longer had breath in it and they placed it in that borrowed tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, everybody looking, the disciples that were scattering and hiding, the Romans that crucified him, the religious leaders who mocked and scoffed and that were looking on, all of them said, this, this is a dead end. But if you don't know the story, if you're visiting today and you've never heard this story, God delighted in that situation and turning what looked like nothing but a dead end. It looked nothing like a tomb that was sealed up, signed, sealed, delivered. The Messiah, the Messiah that everybody else was talking about, this is a dead end. He's gone. He's dead. He was a fake. He was a phony. It's all over. Instead of saying, it is finished, he should have said, he is finished. That's what everybody else was saying that day as they looked at this scene. But thankfully, we serve a God today, Yafola, that delights in turning dead and into through roads and as those women came that third day to that tomb they saw that he was no longer there but that he was risen why because we serve a god that over and over and over and over delights in turning dead ends into through roads it says in romans 6 23 it says of you today but the wages of sin is death it's a dead end We're all sinners. We've all fallen short of his glory. We've all got that sin nature in us. And all that that's ever going to do is lead to a dead end. Sin, hell, death, judgment. All of those things are true. But that verse doesn't end there. It says the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What does that mean? It means that we have a God that delighted in turning a dead end into a through road. And if you're in here today and you've never accepted Jesus as your savior, he wants to turn your dead end situation spiritually this morning into a through road of salvation where you can know him, you can have a relationship with him, you can go to heaven to be with him one day. And we focus on heaven a lot, but forget, don't forget that that quality of life, that quality of eternal life does not start when we get there, it starts today. We enter into Thanksgiving week and I close with this thought for Christians this morning. The greatest dead end that we ever faced in our life was knowing that we were a sinner and knowing for sure that our sin was going to destine us to hell. And we reached out at some stage in our lives and we said, Jesus, forgive me. I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've done wrong. I know that you died for my sins so that I could have eternal life. By grace, through faith, I believe that Jesus died for me. I want that gift of eternal life. And he dealt with your biggest and your baddest dead end that you've ever faced. Now with that in mind, what dead end are you facing right now that you're saying God's not big enough for He can deal with sin and he can deal with hell and he can deal with judgment and he can deal with things of eternity and and, and my spiritual state. But this thing going on right now, God, you you, you just don't understand. You you don't know what I got going on with my, my family. You don't know what the doctor said about my health. You don't know the situation that I find myself in. And friends, I don't know you this morning. I don't know what you've carried in. But what I do know is that we serve a God that loves turning what appears to be a dead end into three roads. 
And Moses had faith. Why? Because he had seen him do it over and over and over and over. And I would encourage you this Thanksgiving season, it's important for us as Christians to take a moment and to look back at the dead ends in our past and say, God, I see how you led me through that and I see what you did in that situation. And I didn't know how all that was going to play out. I didn't see the big picture. But now I see what you did there. And what you did in my yesterdays makes me trust you in my todays and leave my tomorrows in your hands because you're a God that delights in turning dead ends into three roads. Friends, this morning at Eufaula, it's up to you because it all matters whether you see your dead end situation through eyes of fear or eyes of faith. The message is there for you this morning. I'll ask God to apply it to your hearts and lives as he would. Let's go to God in a word of prayer and then I'll pass it over. Lord Jesus, thank you for the opportunity to preach this morning. I pray that you would take this message and implant it into the hearts and lives of your people. If there's one in their midst that doesn't know you this morning, I pray that they would deal with the biggest dead end that they could possibly face, which is knowing eternal separation from you. For us as Christians, Lord, if we've carried in a burden here today, Lord, I pray that we would see it through eyes of faith, not eyes of fear, looking to you, not looking around, and trusting that you're still good, you're still God, you're in control. We leave this service in your hands. Do with it what only you can. For it's in your name we pray.